0: This is Improv Nerd. My name is Mick Napier. Thanks for tuning in. That's improv, bitch. I- improv, bitch?
1: I mean, after all... You're nerds. Improv. Nerds. Improv. Nerds. Im- <laughs> improv. Nerds.
2: Welcome, I'm Jimmy Corain, and this is Improv Nerd, the podcast where we get up close and personal with some of improv's biggest icons. This is our first show from Second City, so we wanted to start it off with a really big name. Well, you can't get any bigger than Mick Napier. We sat down with Mick and discussed how he first got into improv, being an Eagle Scout, and doing mushrooms with Andy Richter on a couch.
0: Oh, Mick!
2: I am so happy. We go back such a long way.
0: We do. We do. Do you,
2: know, do you remember the first time we met? Because I was trying to push, put this together.
0: No, I, I don't really. Do you? No, I, mean, I don't. Oh, I don't. I don't. No. Fantastic. No, I don't.
2: All right. Now, you grew up in Hazard, Kentucky. And I think you described your family as being hatefully playful conversation.
0: Probably, yeah. I grew up in Ohio, but I was born in Hazard okay. and uh, spent a lot of my time going back to Hazard. And, yeah, my family, very Southern, polite, but a little evil behind that, kind of fun.
2: Um, like like, like passive-aggressive kind right. of stuff? Like not expressing what they really felt?
0: It's kind of digging, but a real nice <laughs> way of doing it, you know, as you're making breakfast. Kind of nice. It's kind of, I describe, like, my Aunt Vaughn is probably the funniest person I've ever met. And I would describe her as like this, like, How's your eggs, Mickey? And then you know you're in trouble for some reason. It's just going to, 20 minutes later, you're going to be fucked somehow. Uh-huh. <laughs> just kind of like that. just winds itself into that kind of thing.
2: Now, so, something uh, I want to talk to you about. Your dad had two families?
0: My dad did. Uh, he, did. he did. He, God, it's just so long ago now. It's old news for me. Everyone gets along fine and stuff. But he did have a departure with our family and... He'd met another woman at a construction company that he owned near Cincinnati, Uh and that went for a while. My mom and dad got divorced, and my father lives with uh, my half-sisters in Atlanta, and also a stepbrother and um, his wife.
2: So did he have the family while he was still living with you guys?
0: I think so. It was a long time ago, and I can't exactly remember the chronology of it, Uh but I was in college. Um, I'll tell you what I remember the most about it in a weird way is that the second I found out about that, I felt like I had... Yeah, you know, when I found out that that happened, I felt that I would never have any need to have an obligation to my father ever again. That's the first thing I thought of. Like, oh, well, that's fucked. I don't have to worry about, like, going into business or something. You know, so that was, it was kind of an immediate relief, but then it had consequences uh, for my mother and and my brother. But everyone seems fine now.
2: Do you think that had an effect on, like, wanting to go into comedy at all?
0: I don't think so at all. Okay. I don't believe so at all. (laughs) Okay. No. (laughs) It didn't. It didn't. I I feel like that my desire to go into comedy happened long before that.
2: And when was that,
0: your desire to go into comedy? Oh, man. I I remember being in, like, second or third grade and really being into making people laugh and uh, looking at comedy. Um, I remember... This will date me for sure. My birthday's Monday. I'm going to be 49. Uh, I used to hold a tape recorder up to the television in order to tape Saturday Night Live so that I could listen to it throughout the week. Because there were no VCRs or anything like that. And certainly no DVDs or any way to record anything. So I used to listen to these. I still have these audio cassettes of Saturday Night Live when they were first airing.
2: And who was when you watch SNL, who was your favorite?
0: Well, I I liked, um, I don't know, I, I like Jane Curtin a lot. I liked a, a, bit, a little bit of the weirder side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I kind of like Garrett Morris in a weird way. <laughs> I did, I like the weirdest, well, the well, weirdest well, stuff, Dan Aykroyd's stuff, uh-huh. uh, I believe, that really was exciting for me Michael Donahue everything he wrote was which was
2: a writer he was a writer, for originally for National Ambo, writer but he was very 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 dark
0: very dark and my sense of humor is is so dark it's insane and I I feel like that I looked at comedy very very intensely as a child and developed kind of an anti-comedy sense of humor very early uh, I just happened to bond some books and journals I wrote in high school that were all Dada and that's what turns me on like non sequitur stuff it's hard, it's hard for me to enjoy conventional comedy at this point in my life I have a hard time with it I was,
2: I was really surprised about it that you don't watch any comedy you don't watch any comedy TV or go to movies and stuff
0: like that is that a conscious choice? It is it is I, I just I, I have a hard time with anything that uh, wants to make me laugh and I feel like it's work a little bit um, it's kind of mathematical for me, or just I guess, and I go into my left brain about it. Uh, some of it I disdain. Like if I'm flipping through television and anything that appears to have a three camera beta shoot, like a sitcom, I'm out of there for sure. Uh, but yeah, I've never, I've never seen. This is always kind of embarrassing. It's, it's actually embarrassing to say this, but I've okay. never seen an episode of Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen um, Friends. I've maybe seen two simpsons in my life um i can't remember ever seeing a comedy movie and i haven't seen saturday night live for probably 20 years or so so here i am talking about comedy (laughs) and it's weird when i direct here i rely on my cast to tell me things that have been done or whatever or you know so i don't repeat things you were an Eagle Scout. Conversation stopper. It always, it always is. Yeah. Now let's talk about how I believe, of, you know, and not believing in God, and we can really just. Well,
2: and, well that'll be the second part of the interview. Okay, great. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> and is since I've known you, you, there's a pride that you were an Eagle Scout. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, back then scouts were like it's not scouts. I would say were like. They were, it wasn't there was no weirdness going on in scouts. Or oh, was you there? mean sexually you mean? Yes.
0: Not really, not you know, really. Was um, <laughs> there was wasn't anything like that that on with with scouts. Um, it had a stigma sort of Which of was Yeah, it had a stigma of like of like, i I'm dying to use the word gay, but in a different way, and right. I'm not supposed to use the word gay, so I guess I will use the word.
2: It was nerdy or geeky. Thank you. Right. Okay. Yeah.
0: So I guess it had that <laughs> stigma going on. It's funny because our scoutmaster. You can never do this today, but our Scoutmaster used to take us. We would go camping every weekend, mm-hmm. uh, or one weekend a month. And he would take us after the camping trip to the YWCA, mm-hmm. and all the adults and children would strip completely naked and go swimming on a Sunday afternoon after camping trip. And we thought nothing of it, I guess. But I don't think you'd do that now. No, sure. I don't think you would. <laughs> I don't think you would. <laughs> yeah, but... But no one fucked each other or anything like that. Okay. (laughs) That's great. Um. It was. It was great not fucking people then. Right. (laughs) Not being fucked.
2: And then you you went to Indiana University, and you were going to be a veterinarian.
0: Yeah, and I have to. For for the sake of all scouts, I have to kind of correct you a little bit. You said you were an Eagle Scout now. You, once you're an Eagle Scout, you are an Eagle Scout. So that's always present tense, just to let all of you know. Okay. Yeah, okay. an Eagle Scout is an Eagle Scout. They're, they were not an Eagle Scout.
2: Okay, it's like you're a citizen of this country, right? It's kind of like you're a
0: Marine, you know, for okay. life. Okay, great. Just like that.
1: <laughs>
2: um, so you go to Indiana University, You become. you want to become a veterinarian. Yeah. And then what happens?
0: Uh, scotch, I guess, happened. <laughs> um, my desire to do theater happened. Really, I had a, a lot of fun doing theater. I got tired of rehearsing theater, and that's what drove me toward improvisation. Mm-hmm. I I got tired of doing the same thing over and over in rehearsals, mm-hmm. and learned about improvisation and read Jeff Sweet's book, um, Something Wonderful Right Away. Mm-hmm. All the interviews about you know Second imp- City people mm-hmm. like
2: Dell was in there. Absolutely, clothes, yeah. And
0: yeah. now I was just enamored by that, and. Uh, Me and my uh, friend, uh, Dave Yeah, we started an improv group in college and I think David, I believe David had improvised before but I had never improvised before Mm -hmm. and I'd barely seen improvisation and we got an improv group together and I I learned from doing it in college how to do it. We wrote sketches every week and stuff. And
2: then what brought you to Chicago?
0: Second City. Second City. To, you know, work at Second City or whatever. I had no idea I wanted to direct back then. Mm-hmm. I started directing kind of by default. Uh, we were putting together a show called Splatter Theater.
2: Which was the first, was it the first? Yeah, it was the first, first annoying show. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: We still do it every year, Halloween, and it was kind of like, who wants to direct this? So uh, I guess I will, kind of, and I started directing and teaching from that. And, you know, there's something, because I, I remember this, when you
2: first started teaching, and back then, it had to be the late 80s, was it? Probably, yeah. The, like late '89. And nobody wanted to teach. I mean, if you said you were a teacher, it was like, you know, you gave, you gave up on your dream or something. Yeah, Did I you guess,
0: kind of feel that? I guess it was a little different back then, yeah. yeah. I had this great desire to teach, and I remember, um, I remember having a clipboard with blank lines on it, and offering it to people that I was taking classes with and saying, I was, I'm going to do this workshop on Sunday. If you'd like, sign your name here and it's $3 for the workshop. Mm-hmm. And that's how I started teaching, actually. Um, back I- then it was very weird because it would be, I don't know how many students are here. Of improvisation, but it would be like you're in class and you hand a clipboard to your your fellow classmates and say, "Would you like to take my class?" <laughs> and I'm looking at you like, "No."
2: But you <laughs> know what? There like was something, fun. Mick, that you had like an inner confidence because I remember like being an, really impressed because. You started to teach, and you were—I think you were waiting tables when I first knew you, Mrs. Levy's or something—and yeah, uh-huh. you're like, "I am not going to do anything unless it's in your field. Like, I'm not going to do anything unless it's improv-based." And you made that 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 choice, and I'm wondering where did that confidence come from? How did you develop that?
0: Um, I think that I really got to a point where I just couldn't put up with it anymore. The definition of it being Uh, living, I was either going to go for it over here or completely fail at it and do something else. I was tired of being in this nebulous land and felt like I just had to put everything at stake and do it in that way.
2: Is that something that you, you, was that something you got from the Eagle
0: Scouts or you got from your parents or was it just? I don't know exactly where that came from. Um, From scouting, I got a lot of leadership abilities from that and mm-hmm. I learned a lot about directing from scouts mm-hmm. actually because when I was in scouts there were no there was no scout troop in our uh, town and mm-hmm. there was a guy named Bill Harbin that was a teacher at our school right. and I learned that he had a troop in another town and I went and approached him and said will you start a troop in our town because we didn't have one and he did and I became the, the senior patrol leader automatically which is something it usually takes you know four or five years or something to attain that And I was put in a leadership role right away. And I feel like that I've always found myself in those kinds of leadership roles, whether it be directing or starting a theater or teaching a class or whatever. And there's many times in my life that are much happier as a result of not being in that position. There's times, if I'm just part of something, that's I think when I'm actually ironically most happy. And there's times where, I don't know if you feel this at all, but there's times where I wish that I didn't walk into a room and have a mass of human beings behave and then stop behaving and look at me and wait for me to say or do something. I, I, don't, have that,
2: I don't have that problem. But,
0: don't? <laughs> but
2: I do, you know, because... You know what I mean, I, know, I, yeah. I, I, I don't, but I do know, knowing you a little, there's a part of you that you, you're, you're aware that you
0: have a guru status, right? I hate that okay, and, word, I guess. Okay. Because I hate facial hair. Okay.
2: (laughs) But there's a part of... Even going back 25 years ago when I was there, you very quickly, in the theater, became this this guru. All right? And there was a part of you that really liked it, it seemed like, and there was a part of you that really hated it. Was that a fair assessment?
0: Yeah, I think I hate it more than I like it. I I don't really... Yeah. I I don't attain... I, I don't want to attain that, be that or anything. And there's things that I've done that looks like that, like write a book. That would be something that. It didn't like work that would for do. me,
2: Mick. <laughs> I can't <yourself here. laughs>
0: Well, I think that you yeah, have that as well going on with your life in a way. I think people look up to you and respect you in that way. And certainly, I know that's true. Um, but I, I don't know how you feel about it. But I don't veer toward that. I, I don't know. It just doesn't do anything for me. to if, feel that way or whatever? Do you go out? Of, do you avoid it?
2: Like, like you know, like you'll go into you go into somewhere and people will be like oh, man, you know what happens when people just want to talk to you or just a thing that used to annoy you is you'd go you'd be shooting pool and then somebody would want to talk to you about improv yeah people
0: talk and you about could be
2: mean to them
0: I was yeah okay
2: you, you weren't aware you could no, I was that I remember, afraid, that. I remember. I, yeah I I was afraid of you I still am afraid
0: of
1: you
2: <laughs> oh I, I'm yeah.
0: not to be afraid of I'm alright but I think you've <laughs> mellowed over the years don't you I probably have I have um there's part... My father owned a construction company. And I grew up doing construction, and I'm from Kentucky, and there's big southern part of me. So I'm very... There's part of me that's very cynical about comedy and about improvisation, etc. And the, the it's scary to be talking this way right now because I would be referring to that which we are doing, meaning that it's... In some way, it's been weird for me to be on, like, panel discussions and to be interviewed throughout the years, et cetera, about this work. Because my father, he operated a backhoe. Well, they didn't have panel discussions about the importance of backhoe work, et cetera. And there's part of me that's like improvisation, it is vital and wonderful and all that. There's another part of me that believes that improvisation is the least important thing you'll ever do in your entire life. So I have this cynicism about it to talk about it as if it's so reverent. Okay, let me ask you this. And that's the part that I avoid and that's the part I don't want to partake in. And I guess my desire is to never take myself too seriously or to take it too seriously as well because I don't know if it's worthy of that kind of seriousness.
2: What aren't you cynical about? um.
0: (laughs) Because you seem to me like you're cynical about everything. I might be. I might be. Um, There's certain things I'm not. My girlfriend, Mm -hmm. um, I'm not cynical about um, it's weird, I'm not cynical about the things that I really believe in but the things I really believe in are probably based in cynicism so it's kind of fucked up give me an example <laughs> well I'm not, I don't think that I take a cynical point of view oh, yeah I do, I don't take a cynical point of view about my own position regarding religion
1: mm-hmm.
0: but I, I guess I take a cynical view about other people and the way they view religion, so I guess, I don't know, maybe I am cynical about everything I don't know.
2: The annoyance, how you know. started
0: the Annoyance Theater
2: almost twenty five years ago. Yep. I don't think as I was researching this, I don't think a lot of people understand what it was like twenty almost twenty five years ago that there wasn't this this so many opportunities to perform and stuff like that. What what was the inspiration of like I got to do this? I got to do this kind of theater.
0: I, th- I think I think you just said it, is that I n- need to have a place where I can do this kind of theater, where I didn't feel like I could do it elsewhere. I didn't feel like it would be welcome elsewhere. And at the time, it was basically Second City and I.O., right? It was. Yeah. It was Second City and I.O. And the annoyance isn't a reaction to Second City or I.O., it's just a desire to create a kind of theater that really wasn't available at Second City mm-hmm. and I.O., uh, I wasn't so interested in creating a theater that did sketch comedy, right. or nor was I interested in creating a theater that was solely based in improvisation, mm-hmm. like I.O. You know, that's, right. how it, that's how it started, pretty much. So I wanted to do weird theater and weird narrative theater that had a beginning, middle, and end, musicals, etc. So that's <laughs> where that came from. But I also never sat down and said, I'd like to start a theater. It all kind of just happened. We did a show... And we enjoyed that. We did another show. We enjoyed that. And we thought, hey, let's get a space to do more of these shows that we're doing. And that became the annoyance then. And,
2: and really, because I was a part of it, it, it when we were at Broadway and Belmont. And yeah. it was very quickly, success happened. Very, very quickly. Yeah. With COVID Prison Slugs," the real life Brady Bun. Yeah. It was crazy. Remember, like. You never know who was going to. Tom Hanks came in one yeah. time to see the Brady Bunch. You had representation from I don't know. We yeah. got everybody was being interviewed on, in national publications. Mm-hmm. How do you look back at those days?
0: I look back on it with fondness. I had a great time. There were some really wonderful people back then. Um, I, I had a lot, a lot of fun personally. I look back on it with a lot of kind of scariness too, because. During all that time, I personally was in financial hell during that time. Really? Oh my lord, yeah. The Annoyance on on Broadway, we were, we were financially really, really in trouble. Um, and I don't even know if you know this, but I went through... After the Annoyance on Broadway, I went through a 10-year journey of... It, it was pretty much a nightmare, I'll tell you briefly. Uh, there was a gentleman that owned the building, mm-hmm. and he had his, he owned a lot of real estate in Chicago, and he had he owned so much real estate that he had his own in-house law firm mm-hmm. that handled all of his real estate. So I entered naively; I entered this lease that we couldn't handle, and it was a triple net lease. What that means is that you have to pay property taxes if you own the building. Very common kind of lease in Chicago, if not anywhere, everywhere in the United States, for commercial property. Well, we just, it just got out of hand. It's ironic, because what happens is you, you improve a neighborhood with a building that you rent, and as you improve the neighborhood, well, you're actually punished because your property taxes go up as a result of improving the area that you're in. So that happened, and it just escalated, and I wanted out, and I couldn't get out. So long story short, sorry, already fucked that up, um, I, the only recourse I had was to declare bankruptcy. And I went through a 10-year journey of the company, uh, the real estate company, suing me, having my bankruptcy annulled, having it turned around, um, then suing me again and again and again. Ten years later, I'm sued for $250,000, and I lose. And that was, so that's the annoyance on Broadway as well. The man who owned the building died. He died. So for six years, I was being sued by a dead man. His law firm, his law firm, still operated. So what really was going on was that every time the law firm came after me, they could bill that to this company, so that they would pursue me would would have them make money, and they did. So Forever. here,
2: here you are, and you're you're directing at Second City, and money's just going to legal fees
0: no not necessarily like i, I just avoided a lot of it But
2: <laughs> <laughs> how did that work out
0: it worked out fine i mean <laughs> i never paid a cent and that's long since passed but i i only say it as i look back on that as a very financially devastating time in my life as well a very fun time too creatively yeah
2: it was a great 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 i do
0: thing. not regret it at my all and fa- it's worth every every bit of stress. I never
2: told you this, but my favorite note that you ever... I was in Coed Prison Sluts. Uh, yeah. uh, I played Hamster Man, which is a, was the most thankless role you could have. It, it is. It, you know, it it's is, a great yeah. show, but I, it, you know, it was a very thankless role. And uh, one night, uh, it was at the Broadway in Belmont. I think we had done, I don't know, maybe a, a, a tons of performances. It was a couple of years old. And and I'm not going to tell you who the people is. You probably could guess, but it was... Uh, it was slick and it was Henry mm-hmm. uh, and they were in the back and they were they had a bottle of, of Jack Daniels and they were passing it and by the, the end of the, the the show just dragged on and you had walked through the you had walked through the, uh, the the theater and you'd saw how it was dragging on and dragging on and the next night we get a note because you you love to drink the theater was known for drinking the next note was this and I'll never forget this note Mick said the show dragged on no hard stuff. From now on, only beer.
1: <laughs>
2: and I've never forgotten that note. It was like my, my my favorite McNapier note.
0: Yeah, pull it back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Indeed.
2: Um so you you start directing it's it's Second City. You've directed tons and tons of
0: reviews. Yeah.
2: What is the show that you're most proud of?
0: I would say Paradigm Lost.
2: And why is that? Did um
0: you, because it was very visceral, emotional, a very magic experience with a great cast. It was my second show, mm-hmm. second main stage show, mm-hmm. and I was very scared of it because it's the second show, and I really have this bizarre belief in second time blues kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was also being it was also being filmed at the time because oh, with this
2: documentary, second time
0: H M S Video, they yeah. were shooting it, and I was also writing a journal about it. So I was scared of it because it was being so measured in so many different ways, the process, as we mm-hmm. were doing it. But it turned out great, and I was just really proud of it. It was just an extremely visceral, emotional, and funny mm-hmm. show. And Tina Tina F- with form a lot and all that. And
2: Tina Fey's in that cast. Yep. What, was it, what, what is your impression of Tina Fey or memory or antidote working with her?
0: Uh, she's mm-hmm. absolutely lovely and professional and mm-hmm. wonderful, smart as hell. Uh,
2: but she's not the Tina Fey we know today. If you go back and look at the documentary, there's a, kind of a naiveness to her. She's, yeah. she's the, Her hair is it's not... She's not She's not glamorous like she is today.
0: Yeah, I always thought that Tina was fairly attractive, like a pretty woman and everything. Right. Um, I believe that if I had to really think about it, I think that she probably had some issues back then with herself. Like right. She would kind of be self-deprecating here and there. Yeah, uh, But... I don't think it got to her all that much.
2: No, you know what I think too. I think she stepped into her sexuality because I don't mm-hmm. think back then she was very—I mean, very sexual. But now it's like she's she's brought her real sharp wit and her smartness with the sex, and it's just—it's been great for her. Yeah,
0: she has a lot of ownership about that. Yeah, and is very confident about that. But she
2: was—remember, she was kind of a little heavy, and she, she wore. Was. She was like close. She, they were just like thrift store kind of
0: clothes. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, some of that's money, you know. <laughs> 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 I think, yeah. But um, I think she was. She's probably a little little less glamorous in that right. one back then.
2: And, you know, I, also, Colbert was a, was your first improv student.
0: Oh, he was in my first Second City class. And I remember I
2: seeing you direct him out at Northwest. Yeah. And I was thinking... Um, he was never very political back then was he not
0: so much no not so much he was political in life he had a lot of point of views about you know about what was going on around him and his his world and all Mm -hmm. that stuff and he's brilliant man one of the smartest people i've ever met in my life is Mm -hmm. Stephen. and kindest and funny he really is and i think if I, if I was asked like one of my one of my favorite memories about Stephen is that he's actually good friends with my girlfriend Jennifer, and uh, we were in New York once drinking, and Stephen and I were attempting to explain to Jennifer the general theory of relativity at four in the morning on a street corner, and Stephen and I were each representing two simultaneous events in order to. Describe what relativity does, you know, relative to the blah blah blah. What about He's
2: And great. what about Andy Richter? Because we both worked at him at the Annoyance. And he, I just thought yeah. he was
0: just such a great guy. He's so funny. Right. He's really funny. I'm not going I'm not going to say that Andy Richter is great to sit on a couch for six hours and do mushrooms with. <laughs> Okay, great, great, great. I'm not going to say that.
2: Are you... I get the sense, and this is just my fear, that saying people that you work with, you're uncomfortable with it. I may be rejecting that. Is that true?
0: I'm not uncomfortable with it. I don't know. I, I don't really dwell on it so much. Yeah, and it with. doesn't
2: seem like you... Uh, when You're people Peter. ask me,
0: like, what it's like to work with that... Per- yeah. It's weird because I don't see comedy, so if I saw Tina... <laughs> if I saw Tina walking, I'd be like, Tina, it would be like just seeing her yesterday here or something.
2: Right. So Is really that, that why you think you don't... Like, I if I was in your position, everyone who's worked with you as a director loves you, Mick. They respect oh, nice. you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I really enjoy directing, and I really like to make it a pleasurable experience and have fun doing it.
2: Is that why, like... You know, they talk about the comedy rope ladder. As people move up, they're going to drop it down so we, so so Musk can go up. And I, I haven't been up there no. yet. But yeah, okay. um, that you don't care about the TV. Like if Colbert called and said, "Hey, would you would you write for my show or Tina? Would you direct an episode of Thirty Rock?" Is that something you'd be interested in, or do you, because I don't know.
0: I kind of feel like I did that with Exit Fifty Seven and mm-hmm. the Sedaris Clan, and mm-hmm. Stephen was part of that, right? And I uh, I did enjoy that. I didn't enjoy working in television all that much, but um, I might entertain that. It depends on what it is. I don't think about it, and when people ask me like what's it, what was it like to work with them? Then when students ask me, and I, my usual response is it's like working with you right now because when I was working with Tina I didn't go, I didn't come here every day and think, I'm working with Tina Fey today <laughs> I thought, you know, I'm working with another person in the cast that's a friend and lovely person at Second City you know what I mean, like you don't have that kind of feeling in, about them while you're working with them, they're just a person you're working with
2: That's what I hate about you Mick, you're always in the moment, you're always you're
0: there, you know I, I am. think it's yeah no, all right. <laughs> i I wonder like i I don't exactly know what you mean by that, but um I'll I
2: mean that like you're you like you're in the moment like it I remember this was years ago, you're like you said something like I don't wanna there was I got the sense you don't care about the past and and the, and that almost scares you about being in the past is. And that yeah. now is the most important thing in moving forward. Is that is that a fair assessment of you?
0: It is. It is because I, you know I could. I think anyone in this room could spend a lot of time dwelling on the past and hating it or loving it. But I don't think about it when I wake up every day. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I really don't. I woke up today and I I, I taught a class like what was it today. I woke up today. I've been. In the last three and a half years, since I stopped smoking, I've been doing cards a lot, like uh-huh. card slides and stuff. So I woke up and I did that for a couple hours. I went and taught my class. I came home and I uh, got seven more Riddler trophies
1: <laughs>
0: in Arkham City. No. No, it doesn't. And, uh, <laughs> and then I took a nap, had some soup, came here. So I didn't spend my day thinking, oh my gosh, I worked with you know these people and what that means to your life and every day i don't do that like i just wake up and do shit
2: yeah that's the difference between you and i it's like well, where's you, mine you know really what,
0: yeah what do you think like what
2: do you i think like sometimes i think like you know if someone gets an opportunity when are they going to throw me a bone when are they, when am i going to get a break huh see i'll tell you uh, well, just, go I, on i have
0: a very strong and it's Andy Richter, boy, okay. here's something Andy Richter said to me once, okay. and I had so much respect for this, and he has lived up to it tremendously. He said to me once, God, must have been 20 years ago, um, I have to let you know that I think what the annoyance does is great. I understand your philosophy and your you know, your artistic vision, etc. cetera, um, but I have to tell you that the only reason I'm doing any of this is to get on television. I'll get on television any way I can that's all I want. and I respect that so much because he was truly honest about that notion. I think in improvisation we run around and we're afraid to say I'd like to be on television, I'd like to be in film, or I'd like to be on the main stage, or I'd like to be on SNL. I think we're afraid to say it because we feel like we're violating some communal sense of integrity that we all feel about improvisation, etc. I respected his departure because it was honest. and. I believe that that has more integrity than sometimes us pretending like that's not really what we're up to or what we want. And, I, and the only reason I'm saying that to you is that I feel like that looking back or looking in that way is like expect, it's like I think there's a saying like you've you, Took a, you took some poison, but you expect other people to feel the effects of that poison. Right, you expect them to die. It's called resentment. <laughs> is that yeah, yeah, resentment. Yeah. And and I, that's it,
2: what keeps like, me. That's my oxygen. Mick. Is yeah, it, That's
0: I wake up and I'm amazed I'm alive and happy that I am, and, and full realization that there is no God or afterlife, and that this is going to be another day that I get to live on this planet, and I'm happy about that, and I, you know, hopefully can do whatever I want to do. And I also have a very strong belief that integral choices are rarely rewarded.
2: What do you mean by that?
0: I mean that it's so, I've made so many choices out of integrity in my life, none of them are rewarded, and I no longer have the expectation they ever will be. And it, I think it's just something that that is fun to say and looks good, kind of like, um, the most important thing in improvisation is listening. It's just something to say that's not true, and I think that, <laughs> and I think that I think that um, I think that it's nice to show human beings having integrity. In you know, I'm trying to think of a film. There are a million of you don't films. see many. So There's yeah. not so many right. that depict integrity or television shows that depict integrity. And people are making lots of money off those things that depict integrity while making decisions that have nothing to do with integrity. I don't think decisions made out of integrity are rewarded very often. So I no longer have the expectation they will be. Therefore, I'm not disappointed that they're not. But I do enjoy a nice double lift. (coughs) A double lift. That's a card slide. Okay. (laughs) I just wanted
2: the people here to know what the card slide (laughs) talk is why don't we improvise? Okay. Okay? Um, yeah, we're going to improvise. Okay. I, how are you feeling about it? I'm scared. I'm fine. You're scared? Did you get scared before? I, you know what Absolutely. I did was I read some of the stuff in your book. Oh, okay. So I'm like, kind of like, uh, I want to please, Mick. I oh, want do good job for Mick. Fuck
0: that, man. Okay.
1: <laughs> fuck it.
0: Okay. Fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. Okay. You know, I I don't know. I, I will... Uh, are we going to talk about... We'll talk about it when we come back. We can talk great. now. What, what do you no, want? No, it's it's all great. It's it's all fun.
2: Okay, so we're going to improvise.
0: Yeah. Are there, how many students are here today? How many students yeah. we have? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Cool. Okay.
2: Now, do here. you? How do you feel when you perform in front of students? I'm fine with it. Okay. Because I always feel like I'm a fraud.
0: <laughs> did you did? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you ever get that? Yeah. Do. Uh, sometimes I do. Okay. I mean, it's yeah, it's interesting.
2: Of what you teach when you perform, how much do you do
0: do do what you say in class? I attempt to do what I can, and I will admit my, you know, failure with that as well as anyone. Okay. And there's a a notion about improvisation that I truly believe in, is that you can only up your chances of of success in improvisation. You never attain 100% success, so you can only improve your chances. You can, you know, maybe you start out, you did two out of ten scenes well, and you get to three out of 10 scenes. And maybe if you're great, you get to seven out of 10 scenes, you do well. And maybe the, the best people I've ever worked with in my life probably get to that percentage, seven out of 10. Like Tina Fey, I'd say, yeah, seven out of 10 improv scenes she did were great. Mm-hmm. Three didn't work so well. And then when you're two weeks from opening or three weeks from opening a show on the main stage your percentage goes way down (laughs) why is that? Uh, it goes way down because you get into product mode you're no longer improvising for the pure process Mm -hmm. pleasure of it Mm -hmm. you're improvising in order to attain the product of a scene that you wish to represent yourself in a show Mm -hmm. that is in and of itself a product on stage so because you're improvising for that product suddenly your sense of play ironically goes away and your chances of getting product through the process of play diminishes as time goes on yes I'm this boring
1: (laughs)
2: all right let's let's go to the process let's do that let's improvise
0: something That's all she wrote. You said that to her? I said that to her. I went in and I I wanted to prepare letting her go. I wanted to create a more official and substantive way. She's been working for the company for 10 years. And I sat down and I said, thanks for being here, Clarice. And all that could come out of my mouth was, Clarice, and that's all she wrote. He thought I was talking about a project we've been working on. So you didn't fire her? I didn't really fire her, no. Okay. But she thinks she's off that particular project. Okay. (laughs) That's good. That's good. good. Buys us a little time. A little bit. Yeah. I'm sorry, Bill. I I am so sorry. I've been pacing around all night like, I thought I was gonna go, go crazy having to come in here and do this. And I just wigged out. I couldn't couldn't deliver. Couldn't let her go. Don't beat yourself up.
2: Really, honestly, don't beat yourself up. The first time I had to fire somebody, I I, I didn't know I, I ended up inviting them to my birthday party. <laughs> yeah. It was so uncomfortable. And then my wife. She actually fired him at the birthday. Party. <laughs> so it worked out fine.
0: Oh, that's good in the end. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot worse than what I did. Thank you. That makes me feel yeah. <laughs> <Cool. Cool. laughs> You seem a little down lately. I'm having a few problems. Okay. I'm having a couple of health problems. Okay.
1: I'm
2: pausing
0: because I want you to divulge. About <laughs> I'm pausing because I'm wondering whether or not I should divulge these to you.
1: <laughs>
0: now, that pause was effective.
1: <laughs> <laughs> a second one.
0: There's an old saying that when you are selling something to someone, you ask for the sale, and then you put a period after it, and you just pause and wait. you don't say another word, or you'll give up power and lose the sale. I feel like that's what you just did. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to lose my leg. You thought it was something like cancer or something? Yes, yes. You? I was hoping it was something like cancer. My biggest fear. Did you say that you were hoping like I was? <laughs>
2: because everybody now has everyone our age is getting cancer. And it's like skin cancer and they, and it's it's minor. But I, I always had a fear of, like, losing a limb and being in a wheelchair, you know? I don't think
0: I'm going to have to be in a wheelchair. Okay. Have you it's, ever heard of prosthetic <laughs> limbs? Yeah, names
2: totally freaked me out.
0: Really? Yeah. Huh.
2: Like, do, do you know what happens? Your, your, your knee starts to swell up, and then it's hard to get the
0: fake leg up there. I've done a lot of research as a result of my condition Okay Do you know what a staph infection
1: is? (laughs) Yeah, it's common
0: That's what I have It's spreading, it's going down my leg There's a possibility I have to have my leg removed Is that pause because you want me to say more about that? (laughs) (laughs) Or are you confused about what I'm saying?
2: There's three, the third thing is I'm wondering if you're
0: looking to get more time off. I think it's odd that you've been counting things.
2: <laughs> 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 Hasn't there really been a
0: list of three things that we've talked about? Yes, I'm trying to do it to
2: take myself away from you losing your leg. Because I'll tell you something. If you lost your leg, I, I don't know how I would feel coming into this office
0: every day. I would just... I, I would feel uncomfortable. Huh. I'd like to get a post prosthetic. Not one that wants to look like a real leg, but one that's a post. Why would you do that? Because I don't want to be ashamed of the fact that I Aww. lost my leg. I I want to run in a race, Bill. I want to be televised doing this. Gosh, golly. Damn. I didn't, I didn't expect to talk about this I came in here to talk about Karis and how I feel about my inability to let her go. Jeez, is it my fault that the, the, the conversations turned to this? Now I understand.
1: Okay.
0: It makes sense. You you you,
2: you had your mind on, on on your leg, and you that's why you had a hard
0: time firing Karis. Have you lost some weight?
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, you're waiting for me
1: to say that.
2: How was that for you? That was fun. Yeah, that was really fun.
0: Did you enjoy that? I enjoyed
2: that. Mm -hmm. I did too. Yes. It was really fun, actually. It was? Okay. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I experienced a softer, gentler Mick on stage.
0: Oh, because it's you.
2: So if there was somebody else on here, it would be different?
0: I think it's real. I, I think that I knew that I was improvising with you, and I wanted to... You're real intense as an improviser. You're real grounded. You're real good. You're real, you like to improvise like this. Uh-huh. And I know that. How about you? I I like that too. Right, and because uh, oh, I'd
2: never seen you provide like that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to take questions from the audience on either sure. what we did or something we talked about that they would like to. That's great. Okay, uh, yes. Time went quick. I know, Mick. I could have gone another hour easily. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we've got questions from the audience. Uh, yes,
1: um, Mick, you did a. There's a video on the net that I found uh, that was. I don't know what to call it, but it's, it, the title is nothing, but it's
0: I'm a little ant. I'm a little ant, I'm a little ant, I'm a little ant, yes indeed, I'm a little ant, I'm a little ant, I'm a little ant, yes. The, <laughs> that? Was, yeah,
1: except, for, yeah, that's it. Thank God you remember. Um, the, you had props, you had a paper leaf, and you had the little had the little antenna things, okay?
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> so was
3: this written, or was this just improvised?
0: Uh, that's something that I, I wrote in a show called Grab Ass that okay. we did at the Annoyance, and it's just a bunch of bits and stuff. That's part and parcel of the kind of stuff that makes me laugh. That is, it's not really anti comedy, but it's certainly non sequitur, absurd kind of stuff. And that makes me laugh.
1: Everybody I've shown it to thinks it's just a scream. They don't even know why. Oh, good.
0: They just good. think it's a scream. I'm really into repetition, it's and I, I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Mick, what's the future of improv? <laughs>
2: I just want to say, you hate this question, don't you?
0: Honestly. And he knows I do. Okay. So he set you up? I, I didn't. I forgot he was going to be here. Okay. Yes, he did. Um, you know Connor O'Malley? Yes. He gave me the... I told him that I hated that question. Right. And he gave me an answer. Uh-huh. And then my answer to that question is sky shits. People be improvising in sky <laughs> with aluminum flow costumes. I don't know. Yeah. Do you know why I
2: hate
1: that question?
0: No, I Do you hate curious. that question? I hate it because I don't know I don't
2: have an answer.
0: Oh, well because there isn't an answer to okay. that. It is the the question that people ask you, what is the future of improvisation? They're asking you what is the future of the notion of standing on a race platform saying things that you didn't rehearse. What's the future of that? The future of that is that people will continue to do that in all of its derivations and all of its different forms. I guess. You know? I, 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 know. I
2: hate that question. I can't stand it. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Thanks for asking it. Uh, <laughs> Not a
0: question,
1: yes. but a moment of praise. Um, yep. it's,
2: uh, We've I never had, had a moment of praise, by yeah, the way. I
1: was happy to hear you've never seen Seinfeld, because I haven't either, nor have I seen it. Tyler Perry movie. And yeah. I'm constantly like, it's always referencing glass and stuff like that. And I feel
0: like the weird kid that had to see Seinfeld. Oh, okay. I yeah, I, I auditioned for something a long time ago. They said we're looking for like a Kramer type. And I said, who? And they said, Kramer from Seinfeld. And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Mate. I just didn't know. Yeah, um, yeah I, I really, it's really weird with comedy and me. I don't hate comedy and I love laughing and I love laughing with my friends. But I just, feel like I see the math. I feel like that comedy is creating a context which surprises us lightly and that we're attempting, you know, wants to make us laugh as a result of the surprise from the context it's created. And I get that and all of that. So I guess what makes me laugh is going against context and going against really a lot of what I teach in a weird way. Improvisation is a tricky thing because you are finding the context and then improvising from within that context and surprising in order to get laughs, I think.
2: How did you, you know, in your book, Improvise, how did you come up with your method? Because when I was at the Annoyance, you had not, you weren't solidified on your method. Uh Uh-huh. When did, how did it come to you It's like, okay, agreement doesn't work and don't, the rules don't matter and all that stuff. How did, how did you discover that?
0: Well, um... I made fun of um, I think I made fun of listening earlier So yeah. I as an example um, it's things I was told when I was learning improvisation
1: mm-hmm.
0: I learned improvisation without having ever seen it and then I came to Chicago and I was taught improvisation and I was like what okay this is weird the things I'm being told and that's fine but then I, I was real cynical about a lot of stuff and I'm always like a little 12 I operate like a 12 year old my life pretty much anyway. So I'm like, why, 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 why? Why, like, why should I listen? Or why am I listening? And I feel like there's this set of stuff that improvisational teachers say, and then there's the way that people improvise. And I don't think they're necessarily the same thing. I feel like that if you ask, if you ask Kevin Dorff, I'm Mm -hmm. trying to think. Kevin Dorff, amazing amazing improviser. improviser. What's the most important thing in improvisation? i bet you he'd say listening
2: mm-hmm.
0: and that's what good improvisers say that's what they say Now that kevin dorf does listen when he improvises but i would go further and go and what so my entire philosophy came from me feeling like okay what do i do yes and's a lovely principle support your partner is a lovely idea Listening is a great thing. It sounds like a wonderful philosophy and a great thing. How do I improve my skill set as an improviser? What do I do? So I get very cynical about it. Mick, most important thing in improvisation is listening. Seriously? So do I merely, and I take things literally in my life as well, do I merely listen? I'm doing it, I'm looking at you and hearing words. What do I do? as a result of listening. I get it. I'm listening, actually, in order to gain information, to filter through my response so that the words that come out of my mouth contain elements of what you were saying in accordance with the agreement we have in the scene and are filtering through the point of view that I've created. That's actually why I'm listening. I'm not listening in order to be a good person. I'm listening so that I can do something. That's where that selfish kind of tent came. Um, support your partner. All right. What do I do? Offer them a chair, rub their back, stroke them. I don't know what I do. Ah, <laughs> oh, I get it. The times I felt most supportive is when my partner makes a strong choice on stage. Aha. Uh-huh. If I make a strong choice on, so- on stage for myself, whoop, my partner feels supported as a result of the power I brought in my choice. Aha, uh-huh. I get it. What I do is make a strong choice. The consequence of that is I create a roadmap and a game for myself, point of view, and my partner feels supported by the power of my choice. So it just altered like that throughout the years in my desire to learn what to do, as opposed to listening to words that meant nothing to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's where that came from.
2: And to really to understand it more, I would say pick up your book, wouldn't
0: you? Or I suppose so, yes. I mean, I'm proud of that book. I I went through a lot of pain to pare it down. My friends Mm -hmm. make fun of me as it being a pamphlet, which I think is fun.
2: (laughs) No, my book's a pamphlet. It's like 80 pages. uh, Yours is like... A tome.
0: (laughs) But uh, I'm proud of that, and I really wanted to get to it and see it through what I really believe to be that which one can do when they improvise to give them power on stage and stuff.
2: We are running out of time, Mick. I could go two more hours with you. I just want to let
0: you know. Um, Jerry, what's up?
1: Can I ask a question? Yeah, Jerry, sure. uh, Actually, it kind of blows down to another moment of
0: praise. Uh, What I found... We like that, Jerry. Yeah, I I was scared of you when I first met you. Yeah. And and what I found since is that you are probably the most generous person I've ever met. Oh, that's nice. Oh, thank you.
2: Can I ask Jerry a question? Sure. Jerry, who are you more afraid of? (laughs) Noah, Mick, or Pasquese?
1: Uh, Pasquazi.
2: Okay. Because he's taller.
3: Okay.
1: He is taller. Yeah. And I've seen him play a guy who kills people, so.
2: Okay. <laughs> I have, I, I have to wrap it up. Sure. And uh, I do, I, so um, they can see you at the annoyance? Yes. I'm tonight at Midnight prop, Skin Prop.
1: Tonight.
2: How do you do a midnight show still?
0: Oh, it's fine. It's no problem. It's easy. Skin is me and few guys. We uh, improvise for 45 minutes to take all of our clothes off. Yes, it is sick. <laughs> <laughs>
2: and then another show you're really proud of, you just opened up a Tiny Fascist, all you Eagle got, Scouts. And yep. how did you get all Eagle Scouts?
0: Uh, just put it out there on the internet and found performers who are Eagle Scouts. Matt here? Yes. Yep, he's in it. Um, and when is that? That's Fridays at 10. Is that right? Yes. Yep. Friday's at 10 mm-hmm. and that's
2: at the Annoyance Theater yep. which is at uh, Broadway and Lawrence Yes. you're just moving farther down Broadway, you haven't left <laughs> Mick <laughs> Napier, thank you so thank you much, so much
1: <laughs> thank you so much stick around next week
2: there you have it, another improv nerd I I gotta say uh, I could have talked to Mick for hours I've never seen him so relaxed and so open I'd really love to have him back because there's a lot of questions that I didn't get to ask him if you're ever in Chicago and you want to check Mick out performing improvisation go to uh, SkinProv which is Midnight's at the Annoyance Theatre on Saturday nights also pick up his book Improvise I want to thank my producer Ben Cripero the good people here at Second City Skybox and if you want to know more about Improv Nerd or classes that I teach The Art of Slow Comedy go to JimmyCorain.com and as always like us on Facebook just go to Improv Nerd and until next time as always remember walk don't run
3: happening discotech. remember when we call clubs <laughs> Discotechs? <laughs> lol the 70s were crazy night the crowd bustles with young hot mexicans who are supposed to be cuban and all are dressed in butterfly collared shirts and pants that look like Jinko jeans and pleated khakis had a really weird baby <laughs> there's sex in the air and poppy wants a whiff
1: <laughs> 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 oh my god <laughs>
3: <laughs> Scarface, 22 to 45. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like he's a television audience demographic? <laughs>
3: devilishly handsome, not even a little bit italian looking. So get that out of your dumb brain. Walks through the crowd with the confidence of a man who's going on MTV cribs with the ying yang twins. One day. Does he actually have a scar on his face? Fuck no. Why would he even why would you even ask that? That's not important. What's important is that he is not at all a problematic stereotype and that he has come for his cocaine. <laughs>